It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 66, Renewal of the Kingship After the defeat of Nahash the Ammonite, Samuel assembles Israel at Gilgal to renew the kingship. If you remember, Gilgal is the place where the Israelites crossed over the Jordan with Joshua and where the mass circumcision occurred nearby, and the twelve tribes placed the twelve stones. It's a place of consecration, and a place of renewal, or a place of recommitting oneself to God. Well, I wish this is what happens in this scene, but not exactly. To be clear, Saul is to be consecrated as king, again, in its own right, but were the people recommitting themselves to God or to a king? That is the real question. If you want to picture this scene, there was 300,000 guys who fought the Ammonites, and many of their families met them here at Gilgal, and the men were flush with victory, and the spirits were high, and the Bible says there was great rejoicing, and the Bible says there was great rejoicing. There was an incredible amount of rejoicing. It must have been a wild party that Samuel ends up crashing, and Samuel does throw the hammer down, but I'm getting ahead of myself. After the standard sacrifices and rejoicing, what follows is what has been coined by many as Samuel's final address. We will see more of Samuel, but Samuel stepping down from the leadership of Israel. His role will continue, but Samuel's old now, and he's stepping down from administrative leadership of the country. The final judge is stepping down from his position. Before Samuel addresses the people, you've got to consider this guy at this point. It said Samuel was old and gray, and let's add Harry. And if he kept his Nazarite vow, think Duck Dynasty and ZZ Top put together. Lots and lots of gray hair. And what a wild sight he must have been. Mr. Aged Wisdom standing next to these tall, bloodied warriors led by Saul. What a bizarre sight it must have been, but Samuel was still bold as ever. First, Samuel needs to clear his name from what may appear to be some rumors surrounding him due to the behavior of his children, where he asks Israel if he's ever taken a bribe. He says, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? It's like he needs to make sure he's clean before he prophesies to Israel. You know, not a bad idea. Make sure you're clean before speaking the word of the Lord. Then Samuel tells the people a history lesson and makes some clarifications between their request of a king versus continuing the time period of Judges, where God was their king. A little detail in the history lesson. Samuel reminds the people of their deliverance of Egypt and the great wonders that occurred as they entered the promised land. But then he spoke of the cycle of sin and how God allowed their enemies to come and to conquer them. Following it with the heroes of old, Gideon, Barak, and himself, and how they had rescued Israel. The point of all this was to not forget your history and your inclination to sin. Israel, do not fall into the cycle of sin again. But he goes further. 
when he arrives at the current, he convicts them because he declares that they didn't call upon God to save them, but a king. They didn't even ask for a godly king. Then he makes a statement that Israel now had to behave and to be clean before the Lord. And he had now that the king had to be pure as well, which is really deep when you consider the concept of covering. They would face the consequences of sin if they sinned or if their king sinned. Almost as if he's working himself up. Here is Samuel's actual words. 1 Samuel 12, 12. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord, your God, was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and your king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you, as it was against your ancestors. Samuel made it clear they were calling upon the wrong thing. Remember back when they thought the ark would save the people? Well, God couldn't give them their way, or their faith would have been in the ark, an object. Now, forgetting the lesson of the ark, idolatry was continuing in the land. Now they think a king will save them. Well, what will happen? Well, God will not be able to grant them victory, or their faith would be in a king. They would worship a man instead of God. The rest really is history. I mean, it is. Saul will be a disaster. The question is, how do we get there? And how will God save Israel from itself? Now it gets interesting. What Samuel is about to do is call down rain and thunder during a dry harvest season. The time period of the year is when storms just don't come down. Samuel is calling down heaven. 1 Samuel twelve sixteen. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. Well, the people just freak out. This doesn't happen in the harvest season in Israel. Samuel moved the heavens with this prayer. How beautiful. I mean, really, if you place biblical characters in a list of those who impacted the elements in the heavens with their prayers, the list would be quite small, and Samuel's on it. Like it said, God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. What a confirmation of the sinful thing that they did by asking for a king. The people's reaction to the storm was fear and trembling and repentance. In Samuel's final words as judge, he blesses and teaches the people. 1 Samuel twelve twenty. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord, and serve him faithfully with all your heart, 
Consider what great things he has done for you. But if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. After this, Samuel's role shifts from judge to prophet, for he will later anoint David to replace King Saul. He steps down as president, per se, and becomes an advisor to the king, as long as the king remains teachable. But check out the last part of his address. The last part of Samuel's address is incredible and worth really thinking about. Samuel gives a secret to holy living. And he says at the end, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Fear the Lord. Serve faithfully and consider the things he has done. I've been chewing on this. Samuel gives them three secrets to his walk with God. Be fearful, be faithful, and be thankful. Fearful, faithful, and thankful. Isn't that beautiful? Be fearful, faithful, and thankful. And at that moment, we hear Samuel's heart. Fear the Lord and keep his order and worship him. Live a faithful life consecrated to God and God alone, and live life with a good attitude, being thankful, kind, and generous to all. Wonderful advice, but he concludes the farewell address with just spectacular conviction. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Ah, I could just see him pointing at the crowd and Saul as he aggressively shifts his his direction of his speech and delivers the final part with the powerful conviction and impact, pointing his finger at the people and Saul. If you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. If you look back upon history and Samuel's final words, they are prophetic indeed. Israel will be swept with the rigors of death repeatedly over the next decades. Death was knocking on Israel's door, and Israel would be paid many a visit. Death and war is a good way to describe what is in store for Israel for the next 40 plus years. For in all the days of Saul, there was bitter war with the Philistines. Then there was a one-sided civil war for many years. And after the death of Saul, there was a full-blown civil war in Israel. And David will fight many wars with the Philistines, Ammonites, Moabites, and even fight his way into Mesopotamia and Syria. The death toll beginning right here will be staggering as we head into an age where warriors and mighty men will be forged and legends will grow into obvious biblical proportions and the storyline will grow in complexity full of intrigue, infighting, war, and glory. All in the original King James or whatever version you like. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, I want to let the prophecy of Moses regarding the future kingship of Israel and words of Moses speak for themselves. Around 1400 BC, around 350 years before Saul's coronation, Moses prophesied of a time when Israel would ask for a king and the rules and regulations and consequences of this behavior. Here's the prophecy of Moses regarding the kingship. Deuteronomy 17:14. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you have taken possession of it, and settle in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, 
Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and those decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as Saul turns his forces west against the Philistines, and we introduce one of the most courageous men in all of biblical history, Jonathan. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com.